Have you ever asked an embarrassing question? A question that immediately after you'd uttered it, you wish you could take it back? The question that's a bit dangerous and causes the hearer to recoil. Well, just as the disciples did not understand the Messiahship of Jesus, they did not grasp their own call to God's service either. This fact is illustrated immediately following Jesus' third and, yes, the final passion prediction as James and John ask for favorite status in the kingdom. Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory, Lord. Hmm. This is not that question the thief asked while hanging there on the cross that he might be remembered and there he received the opportunity and invitation to enter paradise. This is not that question. There was no paradise laid out here, just an embarrassing and a dangerous request. You see, beloved, here we see competition among the inner circle of the disciples as James and John put personal ambition before the solidarity of the community. They begin to think of the kingdom of God in terms of a ladder, that career ladder, if you will. A place at the Lord's right or left hand was the incentive that drew them onward in their service. The embarrassing nature of their request is such that in Matthew's account, it, it is their mother who takes the initiative rather than the brothers themselves. No matter how you slice it, it was still embarrassing. This situation, yes, mirrors that of Mark in the ninth chapter, that preceding chapter, when the disciples were arguing among themselves over who was the greatest. Yes, they hadn't let it go. Here, James and John are seeking favor in the coming kingdom. They, like so many, are craving power. You know, at a different time and perhaps in a different gospel, the request of James and John may have seemed inspiring or maybe even courageous, but not here. Not here, it appears arrogant in Mark's gospel. In the way that Mark's gospel gives us the interpretation throughout this gospel writing that the disciples just never quite got the message. Yes, they were hanging out with Jesus and learning these important uh, teachings, and we had thought maybe finally at this third prediction of his soon-to-be farewell, they might just get it. Hmm, not Despite the ignorance of their request, Jesus patiently responds that they do not know what they are asking. In its own way, you see, the text touches on three major philosophical categories. It addresses the knowing, the willing, and the doing. James and John once again show their misunderstanding. They show that they don't really know. They show that perhaps they are not willing because they don't know. And therefore, their doing will be compromised because they don't know, therefore, they're not willing, so they can't do. My grandmother would say, when you know better, you do better. So here they had a chance to do better. But at this third attempt, they still didn't get it. And so this misunderstanding 
when they confidently reply that they are able to drink this cup. However, at the time of Jesus' arrest and crucifixion, yes, they will be the ones to desert him. They didn't know, they weren't willing, and they certainly could not do. Jesus responds that they may share the cup that he himself would drink, but to sit at my right hand or at my left hmm, is not his to grant, he tells them. Only God, only the creator can decide who occupies these preeminent positions. You see, the other disciples are enraged by the presumptuous actions of James and John. Thus, beginning in that 42nd verse, Jesus addresses all of them by teaching about true leadership. I think we constantly need lessons from Jesus about leadership. You see, while worldly leaders assume the trappings of power and demand obedience from their subjects, the followers of Jesus are able or are to take a different path. They're able to do different things with a different kind of power. They're able only because they become servant leaders. And so the heart of discipleship is service and not privilege, James and John. It is service and not privilege, church of today. And those who perform such service do it with no thought of recognition. Yes, your name won't be printed in the bulletin. It won't be on the website. You won't get any accolades. You won't get any real praise. You might get a thank you. And that would have to be sufficient. Because the person who is truly great is the one who seeks always to provide for the needs and welfare of others. The one who is ready to be the slave of all, as Jesus would say here, is the one who is great. And I know it's hard to embrace that language around slavery and servanthood. I, I know it's hard, that sense of servitude is a, lo a little challenging to talk about being a servant, but if you would go back with me a few years, do y'all remember the Oprah show? Y'all remember Oprah, her show, before the magazine, before the network, the Oprah Winfrey show, that ran for, what, about 25 years? Ah, so there was this Oprah show that I recalled where she had then Senator Barack Obama and his wife Michelle Obama on her show on that sofa and she asks, you know, in that conversational style questions as they are doing whatever they're doing. But his real point in this point in the interview he was making was around empathy and having empathy, having compassion for others. And I remember because he said one of his greatest life lessons around empathy came from his mother. He went on to say that we have to, as parents, as adults, as leaders in community, help instill in our children the need to be useful to others. The need to be useful. Jack's parents want to instill into him as he was received by God today and sealed with the mark of Christ as one of Christ's own forever, what it means to be useful in his own time. And that message helped me even with my son in the last several weeks asking why would Jesus say something about the first being last and the last being first? It makes no sense. What does that mean? Why? 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 
And I'm sure the children have struggled with this very passage as even adults struggle with this very message as yes, even the disciples struggled with this message, but that lesson about being useful to others is what helped me grasp this message for today and how I think we can find a path toward righteous living through this message. You see, in God's kingdom, the quest for individual power and status is replaced by humility and service to others. Jesus models this service as the one who came not to be served, but to serve. Yes, even ministers sometimes get it a little twisted. We are the servants of the people, and and Jesus says to follow a servant Messiah means, well, to be a servant. It means to be a servant. He says, whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. So if we were to just put a spit on that for our 21st century Christian minds and, and find language that will help us, he says that this is a time that you must be useful to others. Wherever needs are present, are you useful? What I believe Jesus is saying here is he says, well, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many, is that he is saying we must consider what it means to be useful, and the fact that we've already received his blessing. The price has already been paid, and so this is what Thurgood Marshall meant when he said, Justice Marshall said, the measure of a country's greatness is its ability to retain compassion in times of crisis. Compassion, not arrogance, James and John. Compassion, not power, James and John. You see, there is no danger in asking to be useful, is there? There is no rebuke for asking to be used by God as an instrument of goodwill. Not prestige, not power, not more money, not more, more, and more that you've hoarded for yourselves and there's nothing left for anybody in need. Mm, Not what he's saying. So if we were all to commit today to Consider what it means to be useful. We, we might even think that there are some places inside that we, we need God to work to help fix us, that we might align our wills to God's will, that we might see things a little bit differently than James and John, that we wouldn't make the same mistakes while we come to church and sit and worship and hear the word and sing the songs and share in the prayers and the fellowship. Jesus wants us to get this right. So one of the prayers that the Bible lifts up that might be useful for us as we seek to be useful to the kingdom is the prayer that David offers up that helps us to anchor ourselves for this great work. So create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me that I might be useful to your kingdom. We take a moment to do a personal inventory. Think about it. Have you spent... Any time in conversation with an elderly homebound person lately? Being useful? Have you spent time playing a game with a child, putting aside your discomfort to simply be useful? Have you counseled someone in distress and who, someone who's been considering suicide to be present with them in their time of need just to simply 
be useful? Have you, have you simply said a kind word to someone lately, someone who might have just been ridiculed by a loved one or lost his or her employment? A kind word at the right time could be very useful. Have you volunteered and, and helped in ways that have stretched you? Oh, uh, let's not talk about volunteering. Have you been sacrificial in your giving? Have you, for the sake of the upbuilding of the kingdom, for its usefulness? Have you given of your time, talents, and treasure to help wherever needs are present simply so God's message might continue to go forward and we might be useful agents for change. Not a dangerous question at all, is it? Help me, God, to be useful. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me, O oh God, so that I might be useful to your kingdom. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.